Hey everybody, I'm Tom Corbett. And I'm Justin St. Louis. And this is Uncommon Deeds. Happy Friday to everyone that's listening on the day this comes out or just happen to be listening on a random Friday sometime in the future. With your bellies full of turkey and stuffing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's Thanksgiving yesterday, man. You turned the music off, didn't you? I'm still dancing. I did turn it off, yeah. It's yeah, faded. It's faded since then. Yeah. As uh, our Friday listeners are recovering from Turkey Day yesterday. Little trip to fan coma. I'm not gonna lie. In my older, older age, my my love of Thanksgiving has gone down lower. Once you get to the age where like you have to cook, or more importantly, when you have to clean up afterwards, Damn, it's the cleanup. It's just. Yep. Part of me is like in the background of my mind screaming. Hey, don't you want to get Chinese takeout? And the other part of my mind's like, yeah. <laughs> so that, both parts are saying yes. And the tiny decision part <laughs> over here is like, no, should uh, should probably give the kids normal Thanksgivings. Yeah. I have come to realize in my age that turkey is actually the least thing that I want on Thanksgiving. Like I want all of the other things. Turkey's fine, but it's not the star of the show. It's weird. It's one of those things that I net literally do not think about for 99% of the rest of the year. Like I never think, Oh, I should get a Turkey. Hmm. Never think of it. It's only this time of the year. It's the same with corned beef. I only think of it come St. Patrick's Day time. I'm like, ooh, that was good. I should have this a few more times in the year and then just never do. Man, God. Linda makes a wicked. I love St. Patrick's Day because of this. Yeah. Mm. Let's do St. Patrick's Day. Several this week times. for Thanksgiving. Yeah, well, whatever. I don't care. Let's do it, Let's do it right now. <laughs> Cancel Christmas. We're doing St. Patrick's Day. Oh man, there's no there's no canceling Christmas in this house. Yeah, it is a yeah, hot button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a hot button topic already. Yeah. TJ was asking me about trees today. I'm like, yeah, we'll get a tree. And I was trying to be like, like, hey, part of getting a tree is it takes up even more space in the living room. <laughs> so we gotta pick up and we gotta pick, clean, clean our toys. Yeah. I was like, yeah. He's like. But I really want a tree. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know, buddy. We'll we'll get a tree eventually here soon. And he's like, and he just gave me, and my son, TJ, has the most ridiculous puppy dog eyes. He does. Oh, man. And he looked at me and just went, Daddy, if, I, if, if we don't get a tree, I would be very disappointed. Oh, my God. Literally, that is... <laughs> Quote, unquote, what he said. Look, look me in the eye, father. And I was, <laughs> and in my, one of those little parts of my brain is going, you are not leaving right now to go get a Christmas tree. I don't care how adorable this child is. 
No. And I hung tough, no. and I was like, we will get one soon. <laughs> to which he's like, so after quiet time? Right. Not not today. So tomorrow not then. Today. No. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so today is Sunday as we record this. I'm yawning. I'm so sorry, folks. My God. Um, so professional. Yeah. Well, it's Sunday night. It's I mean, it's Sunday night. We, we have only recorded night. in the daytime twice. Russ Anderson. Yep. And Shirley. Oh, three times. Cabana. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, we did, uh, there was like a craft fair thing in South Burlington today mm-hmm. at the hotel there. And we went and Santa was there. So my day was spent with Evelyn and Santa Claus while Linda yeah. had pickle samples and maple things and all the fun. Yeah. Santa. It's Santa's app. Not, and Christmas is one of those times where I am much more willing to just spend a little more money. Frivolous Tom gets pushed back mm. a little bit, but it's very dangerous when I'm going to like the grocery store all these places that already have Christmas stuff out. Boy. I got home last week and I had a gingerbread house and a Sour Patch Kid ski chalet build thing. What? So there's a gingerbread house. Then the other one is like sugar cookies and Sour Patch candies to make a ski chalet. Is this a kit or is this yeah, something it's you a kit. It's like a gingerbread house, but it's sugar cookies and Sour Patch Kids and... It's a ski chalet. <laughs> so like my wife was like, let's have a, we'll, we'll have everybody over and we'll do gingerbread houses. We'll have a gingerbread house building party, but no, we can have a sour patch kid ski chalet building party. Yeah. What you, a time to be alive. Exactly. <laughs> you could build the preppy ski resort that all the rich people do they come for with, a vacation. Do they come with salmon colored shorts? They just might. And tennis rackets? You know, all those all those people that come to the ski resort in their salmon shorts and tennis rackets just to yeah. show just to show like hey I'm still that guy. In their dock shoes? Who smoke right outside of the door, even though you're oh, not allowed to. Do that. I'm not going out into the into the weather. I'm gonna be under the awning. And I know this just because I worked I worked at Bolton for a few years. You did? I did. So did I. Yeah. It's when I was working at Barry Country Club. So, yeah, it would have been like 2008, 9, 10. Oh. I think I did like three seasons there. Hotel oh, front desk. Okay. I worked in the cafeteria in high school. I was like 14. I think it was the first job I ever really had. Mm-hmm. This was late 90s. My dad might have been there. My dad did one season where he ran all the food. But I don't remember. It was 90, 99-ish. 99 That'd be the time. Ish. Was your dad my boss? I don't know. Jeez. I, I feel like you'd him. know. I feel like you'd know. Yeah, I, yeah, I, would, I would remember your dad. Yeah. Hard guy to forget. Very true. <laughs> I, mean that, I mean that in the best of ways. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Memorable guy. <laughs> but we are coming up on on winter and 
Some places yeah. have already gotten snow. I think we have snow in the forecast for next week, somewhere around there, maybe next weekend, something like that. Mm-hmm. And we thought it would be a great time to, we'd wanted to do this when we started. And we talked about it in the teaser, I think, first episode, whatever, is diving down different disciplines and getting out of our comfort zone and learning about things we don't know about. And we wanted to do snow machining at some point, and it seemed like with with winter. Sheenan. Sheenan. Sheenan, yeah. Sheenan. Don't make me stop. <laughs> now you're going to give me a complex. We're going to go Sheenan later. We wanted to do snow machining, and <laughs> it seemed like a good time with with winter coming. And we had kind of been on a roll of doing kind of very similar things for a lot of weeks. And so we went, we went outside the box this week. Yeah, it was cool. And uh, I asked fair warning. I asked a lot of really dumb questions, Um, but that's sort of, that was the plan. I was trying to get Lincoln to explain things for the uninitiated me being one of them. And, and, you know, I, I know that I asked dumb questions, but trying to wrap my head around the similarities or the differences between what we know, stock car racing, or we, what we think we know, and snowcross, turns out they're pretty much exactly the same. Yeah, there's a great deal of similarities and probably a lot more injuries from the sounds of it. Oh, my God. He At one point in this interview, he will go through his list of injuries and Justin kind of asked it as a kind of off the side question. So like, oh, this will kill 30 seconds. And I was like, oh, no, we're nope. going to be here. <laughs> it's the longest answer of the whole show. His his bones must be powder at this point. But we had a lot of fun and it was different. And we went out of our way and with purpose when we said this was a motorsports podcast and we didn't say, you know, stock car racing or racing podcast because we want to expand our listenership and as well as our minds and learn some cool stuff about things we know nothing about. You know, listeners, our, our faithful audience, we love you. You know that. And our love to you is pretty much unconditional. You've supported us, but this show is still about me and Tom. Yeah, and we're doing, doing what we want to do and, and things that we find interesting. And yes, we take you into consideration, of course. But Tom started talking to me about this. Last like, honestly, year. it was one of the it was yeah, it was one of the first things, one of the first topics that we discussed Dang. when we were still. We didn't even have a name for the show, mm-hmm. um, and and Lincoln Lemieux was one of the first guys that that you brought up and. I didn't know his name, um, but I, I think I mentioned Chris Vincent, who's yep. from Essex, um, because that's the name that I remembered from years and years ago. Um, but but really, this show was built around doing shows like this, and um, we finally got to do it this week, which was yeah, great. Yeah, and uh, once again, I said it at the end, but shout out to my buddy Dan, Dan Judkins, who helped us get Dwayne Lanfear. Yeah, he got us Dwayne. And he was the one that 
brought up Lincoln to me when we were starting this thing. And at the time, he was heading into his or was midway through his racing season yeah, last year. That was so we couldn't December, do it. January. Yeah. He was too busy. And then something about middle of the summer, 85 degrees, talking about snow cross didn't seem like a great fit. So we patiently waited. And here we are with snow about to fly. And if you're listening to this now, actually. We will have already posted it, but if you didn't see it, we're going to post, or we did post, wow, that is tripping me up trying to be past tense. We posted a link what is now? to a uh, kind of like a hype video for the season, talking about him and his new team yeah. coming into the season, and it was really well done. Give it a look. Mm-hmm. Go back, check yeah, out our really posts, cool. give it a look snowcross.com and that's s n o c r o s s.com if you want to learn a little bit more about this and even while you're listening um kind of peruse the thing that's the tour the Amsoil Snowcross Championship the national tour that's where Lincoln Lemieux races um the first race will be in Shakopee Minnesota um which we talk about Shakopee a little bit that is um the first weekend of January 7th and 8th then they'll go to Iowa then South Dakota North Dakota um they come back this way to New York uh, then they go to Minnesota and then they go to uh, Wisconsin and then they wrap up in Michigan. So, you know, he's, this, this is a national tour for sure. And it's the biggest stage for snow cross racers. And uh, one of our very own is one of the top guys in the business. Um, so we're, we're happy to have had, you know, to put it in perspective um, or to, to draw comparisons. Um, I would say he's a chase Elliott type, you know, if you're if you're thinking in terms of NASCAR or cup racing, this is the cup series equivalent for snowmobile racing, and he is one of the top guys every time he shows up. Yeah, and got a whole new gig this year yeah. with a kind of do-it-yourself team. They're starting right out of you know St. Johnsbury, and they're starting from the bottom. And that snowcross website. You get to you can watch all the races this season for free. They stream right? all the events for free. How cool is that? Very cool. Yeah. So uh, Lincoln Lemieux starting off with one three Motorsports. Um, Jake De Silva is his uh, his partner in the business, and they're you know like you said they're starting from scratch, but they're confident and and Lincoln. You know I'm not spoiling anything here by saying this he didn't hesitate when he said he expects to win this year with a brand new team. Um, he's very confident. He is extremely well-prepared. I mean, this, this guy is an athlete. Um, and it's, it's been fascinating to learn more about him getting prepared for the show and then to, to speak with him and really understand what he goes through. It's pretty, pretty phenomenal. And if you're listening to today's podcast and it is snowing outside, and you're feeling a little chilly, maybe your heat not working as well as it should be. Mm-hmm. Justin, who are you going to call? MJ Massetti and Derek O'Donnell at Pro Heat, because um, they're the dudes that are going to help you out. And after last week's disaster of a of a spot read, I'm just going to give you the facts this time. <laughs> So, although MJ loved it, he texted me and said, we got a new slogan. 
pro heat, keeping your wife warm since 2002. <laughs> so <laughs> that'll give you an idea of what they're doing. <laughs> Wait a minute. Never mind. So pro heat is coming up on their 20 year anniversary starting next year. That'll be 20 years, 2002. They've been at it. And uh, MJ Massetti has got 30 years more than that now um, in the business, keeping people warm all over central Vermont, um, water heaters, furnaces, oil tanks, heat pumps, space heaters, boilers. Um, he is the guy. And as I said, Derek O'Donnell, if you're off towards uh, the Eastern part of the state, towards the upper Valley area, um, the East Montpelier office for pro heat is 802-479-9330. They're also on Facebook and uh, they are the best in the biz. So we want to thank MJ and Derek for uh, continuing to support us. And if you are a snow machine enthusiast, you have your own sled and you want some really bitchin' graphics. Bitchin' graphics. You should reach out to Paul Massetti, Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering. Man, I wonder if he's done a sled wrap before. I would some be. of those things are pretty intense. Yeah. We'll have to ask him. And they've been around since, what, 2005? Paul's been doing time. cars. Yeah. And not just cars though, man. Right. Oof. Offices. Let me tell you, he just had something at uh, the hospital. Yeah. Uh, like on a door. Yeah. Yeah. Labeling. Doing some graphics yeah. inside some signage. But yeah, does all of that. He does the logo design. If you want consultations, he did our logos for uncommon deeds mm-hmm. as well. He can take a project that doesn't look good and make it better. That's why we look good. He specializes in vintage motorsport replication. Check out mm-hmm. his you know, awesome door projects where he does replica doors. They're yeah. super cool. Yep. And he's open by appointment in Williamstown. Give him a call at 802-249-3763. You can shoot him an email, jpmassetti at gmail.com. Gmail. And uh, you can check him out on Facebook at Paul Massetti. That's M-A-S-C-I-T-T-I. Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering Designed to Win. Mm-hmm. So one thing I've really come to enjoy over the last few weeks <clears throat> as as we wrap up with our sponsors um, is our newest sponsor, Barry tile and Morrison Clark. Um, just checking out the stuff that they do on Facebook. You know, they post all their projects, maybe not all of them, but a lot of their projects on Facebook and just seeing some of the work that they've done because I'm in the middle of a home project, uh, myself and, um, just getting some ideas. We've got some floors that we want to replace. We've got some tile that we want to add in uh, one of the bathrooms and, and this stuff, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive, man. Yeah. They, like, look at these countertops and stuff that they've done. I, I just had a kitchen done here, but um, damn, <laughs> this stuff is really, really cool. There are tons of options and they have a lot of them. But yeah. the best part is they have the pros to help you pick the one that works best for you. Mm-hmm. Leave me to my own devices. I'm going to have like rhinestone tiles and, you oh. know, 
snakeskin countertops, but they'll have the pros that'll put me in the right what? direction to, you know, give me something that looks good, that works good, kid friendly in my in my case. I don't yeah. know if well, the rhinestone, that's important too. Rhinestone floors. Not probably not, not kid, kid friendly. friendly. No, snakeskin countertops. Maybe. I, was, I don't even know if that's adult friendly. Uh, but you know, that's important too. And, uh, there are pictures on their, on their Facebook page here that will show you examples of a kid's playroom. And they will tell you, you want this type of carpet or flooring of whatever you choose. Um, if you've got kids in here and it's going to get dirty, this will be the stuff that will clean easier. And this will be the stuff that doesn't stain, um, which is really important. And listen, uh, they'll be celebrating their 50th anniversary next year. Um, so they've, they've been at it since 1972. They're down on the South Barry road, uh, right in Barry stop in their showroom, check it out. Um, just incredible work. And, uh, people who, like Tom said, they know what they're talking about and they know how to help you. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's carpet or if it's tile, uh, or if it's hardwood or if it's inside the house or outside the house, if it's for your home, it's for your workplace. Uh, Barry Tile is the place to go. 802-476-0912. And again, they're on Facebook, Barry Tile. Um, so check it out. Just super cool stuff and happy to to be getting to know that that business and uh, and seeing what they do. It's, it's pretty cool. And now, without further ado, it is as good a time as any for Justin to make today's introduction. Our guest this week doesn't really have anything to do with what we've done on previous shows here on Uncommon Deeds. And that's exciting to us because we're getting out of our comfort zone. We're getting off the racetrack and onto the snowpack. And uh, Lincoln Lemieux is joining us. He's uh, one of the top snowcross racers in the country, and he makes his home in St. Johnsbury. And we're going to learn a lot tonight together. So, uh, Lincoln, welcome to Uncommon Deeds, and, and thanks for forcing us to mix it up a little bit here. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Right. So we kick this off kind of the same way every week, unless you have a crazy nickname, which I didn't see. So our normal kind of first question (laughs) is, when do you remember motorsports coming into your life? I guess one of my first memories of motorsports coming into my life, it definitely wasn't like the first time it came into my life, but, you know, like my most vivid memory um i was chasing my sister around i was on a little snow snow scoot 80 cc and she was riding with a friend she was like on a 340 and you know obviously those were a lot faster so i was chasing her around and uh just on our property in st jay on my parents property and uh they went up and around the bend and came back around while I was still making my way and she came and hit me head on and (laughs) i went flying over the the handlebars and uh yeah my dad got really mad because i punched a hole right in the the player's 340 uh, belly pan but uh yeah that was probably my first memory of uh you know doing riding and and really anything motorsports so how old were you i was probably like five yeah all right yeah (laughs) so that was like my first real crash but you know we went we also went trail riding and stuff when i was younger before we started racing. So I remember that a little bit, but that was like my first, you know, real memory of 
kind of riding, racing around. So now you're younger than we are. Uh, but I remember as a kid, we hit that spot in the early two thousands where snowcross started to get really big. And I remember it came to Mount snow for X games. And then you had, you know, your Tucker Hibberts and your Blair Morgans. And it was huge, especially, and I'm a Hazen kid. So I'm from the same area and it was real big in that area. Was that kind of your first taste of that discipline and that got you hooked? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I was so young at that point. Like, I don't really know much about, you know, how snowcross started or, or anything. I just know that, you know, back then it was, it was really big and there's a lot more money in the sport and, you know, everyone, all the sponsors were just kind of throwing, you know, all the money they had to snowcross and, you know, the, the sport got really big, really quick and uh, people were making a lot of money. But, yeah, I just feel like uh, kind of back in the early 2000s, a lot of people would do it. If they had a snowmobile, they'd just go, you know, find the closest race and go and go try it out. And uh, that's kind of how we started. My cousins were racing um, in Island Pond, Vermont. So uh, my dad had got a sled, and my sister and him rode at first. And then uh, I think I tried to – tried to race the one, 120 class. I was probably six years old, five or six years old. So, um, yeah, that's how we got started. And just, you know, after that first time racing, we, that next year we just started full time and, you know, it was kind of, it was a family sport and, you know, we got to hang out with each other all winter and instead of playing basketball or anything else, we raced snowmobiles. So was that the rock maple series? That was a big deal way back yep yeah yep that was rock maple that's that's where i started racing and did all the regional regional stuff so i remember that was pretty big when i was in school because i know i watched a video you were in and you mentioned scott calderwood and i went to school with his son tugger who raced uh tyler missouri would race and they were hazen kids and it seemed like it was pretty big in that you know, Lamoille County, St. Johnsbury area heading out towards Island yeah. Pond. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like my cousins raced and like you said, uh, Tug Calderwood and, you know, Scott, uh, raced and, uh, yeah, a few other guys around that area. Um, we actually had Kyle Foster on our team. I don't know. He's from around there too. Um, but yeah, so, uh, actually Scott is one of the people one of the owners of one three motorsports so um you know he's kind of always been in it always came and watched me race when i turned professional so it's nice to have uh, him back in it full time and supporting us so the big news right now is that you've got this new team one three motorsport and uh, you guys are are really you know going to give her this year mm-hmm. yeah that's um, the plan i mean you know, I've been competitive, you know, pretty much ever since I started racing on the national level. So, um, I'm 28 now. Um, and yeah, we're just kind of all in and we really just want to, you know, make a statement right out of the gate. You know, probably wasn't your intention coming into this year to be starting, you know, a new team and starting from a new, how did that kind of come to fruition? 
Yeah, no, that was, that was definitely not the plan. Um, the way it worked out was perfect. Um, you know, I kind of got everything I wanted, but, uh, I never really thought it would, you know, come to this, but, uh, I'm glad it did. But yeah, no, I was just told that I wasn't going to have a ride at the end of the year. So um, I actually, you know, in May, Skidoo said they were going to try to find a factory ride for me on a, on Warner or um, Theme Racing. So I, you know, just kind of waited for them to see if they could find anything, but they couldn't. And yeah, and then Jake Silva kind of reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to, you know, do you have a ride? And I was like, no, I, I don't have a ride. I'm I'm probably done. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to put all my money that I made into it. You know, I just can't do that. And he said, well, let me call some people and, you know, maybe we can find some sponsors and fund our race team. So, uh, and that was just going to be on a small, small level, just a pickup truck and, you know, a small trailer and only a couple sleds. So he made some phone calls. He, he ended up calling my dad. And once my dad found out, you know, he called, Scott Calderwood and then you know just kind of history from there if you don't mind my asking how much of a how much of an expensive endeavor is this I know it's obviously not cheap but with no frame of reference of having ever worked on a on a snowmobile or snowcross team or anything like that I mean what kind of an investment are we looking at if you want to if you want to compete at the level that that you're at turnkey yeah, I mean, uh, you don't have to give us specific numbers, but ballpark it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just depends how big you go, right? I mean, if you buy a, a buy like we had to buy a trailer and everything, um, and it worked out because we bought boss's stuff, so we got all their assets and everything, which was nice because there was a lot of parts that we could use for the for this season and following seasons. So, you know, we kind of lucked out there. We didn't have to buy a new trailer, but, uh, you know, that was, you know, upwards of a hundred thousand dollars just to, sure. you know, yeah. buy a trailer and that and all the parts and stuff. And it came with three sleds. So you can imagine, you know, it was definitely the upper, it was a lot of money to get that. And then, uh, yeah, just running a team, we had to buy four new brand new sleds from ski you know, and those are, you know, $10,000. Um, we get a little bit of a deal, but still, um, and then all the parts throughout the season, um, any aftermarket parts that you buy to put on the sled, bracing, brakes, shocks, um, handlebar stuff, um, you know, studs and all that stuff. And then, yeah, just entry fees for every race. And then, you know, obviously all the travel and gas and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, probably more than a quarter million dollars just to fun for one season with the trailer yeah i mean that's you know really it's right on par from what i can gather with running a big block modified team really i mean you're looking at at some huge huge investment but are you racing for purses that are worth that investment um yeah for sure i mean i i am you know i my dad and scott i think they're just doing it for the you know just to they want to see me succeed um and for the love of the sport and you know I know when I first started racing for Steve Shearing um, back in 2013, you know, I don't think my dad wanted me to do it necessarily. I think he wanted me to continue to race for him. But at the time, we didn't know how we didn't know what it took to get the sleds to be that fast. You know, back then it was mods. So there was a lot more money spent to get the sleds faster. Well, I mean, are you guys breaking even or or is it 
I mean, nobody I, ever, nobody ever races to get rich, but you know, trying to put it in perspective for us roundy round stock car guys, you know, is, can you make money doing this? I mean, I think if you build a strong base with your sponsors, you can make money. Obviously not this first year. Um, we got everything together so late that it just wasn't going to happen, you know? So, but you know, over time, I think you can, you can definitely make money. You know, you can get another driver, um, you know, get some bigger sponsors. You know, we don't, we don't really have a title sponsor. I would say this year, um, we have some big sponsors and they've done a, you know, a ton for us, but again, they already had their budget set before we knew we were going racing. So, you know, we just kind of got what they could give us at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I do believe that you can make, our team can make money and for sure the riders will definitely make, um, you know, make more than what the team will. So now we'll probably come back. Let's jump back. You mentioned 2013, you stopped racing for your dad. Is that when you really decided that you wanted to try to, to make this a thing that you did? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly when I decided I didn't kind of in 2013, uh, 2014, when I was racing, uh, ECS, you know, rock maple turned into ECS. I was racing that and, you know, I was kind of at a point where I either had to choose college or choose racing. And I was going to Vermont tech for electrical engineering. So, you know, it was just tough to commute to all the races and get all my homework done and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really want to do it anymore the way we were doing it. I didn't want to race. I was having a tough time. I wasn't really performing the way I wanted to perform, but I also didn't know what it took to be at the top level. Once I started racing against the national pros, I really saw that you had to dedicate, you know, your whole life to training and trying to get as fast as you can on a snowmobile. And I wasn't doing that. So it's interesting that most of the younger racers that we'll talk to college is not something that gets in the way of their season, but you're in the winter, you're competing in the winter during the height of school. That's a balance that most of our guests would never have to encounter. Yeah, for sure. It was, um, I, I guess it wasn't really that tough because, you know, I did it since I was six years old. So, sure. you know, my parents were always, you know, come home from school in the winter, I'd ride my sled, work on my sled a little bit, and then I'd get my homework done. It was always just something we did, you know, my parents, you know, tried to stay to, you know, I guess they made me do my homework every day after school, you know, I had to prioritize getting that done and that's what I did. So yeah, I think it was a good life skill to learn. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it was, it's a lot more fun to race snowmobiles than go to school. So (laughs) you mentioned training and, you know, Justin's raced cars. I played basketball, whatever it may be. There's different training for different vocations or sports. What are you looking to train on the body to be a professional snowcross racer? Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, there's no perfect uh, answer. A lot of guys do a lot of different things, whether it's, you know, race motocross in the summertime all the way up until race season or, you know, kind of do what I do more of a, I just have a personal trainer and do more of a, uh, uh, hit workouts, I guess it would be, um, high intensity training, but yeah, that's, what's, 
that's what's worked best for me. And I guess, you know, I can't say there's one specific body part that I work on to uh, hang on to a sled, but, you know, just what my trainer has always said, you just, you know, no matter what sport you do, you have to be an all around good athlete. So, you know, for snow cross, you have to, you have to be strong enough to obviously hold on to the sled. Um, you have to have good endurance. Um, and you have to, you have to stay calm throughout a race. So, um, that's what we try to do in the gym. You know, a lot of 10 to 20 minute workouts, you know, as hard as you can go, but kind of man- maintaining a steady pace and not burning out, you know, halfway through. So uh, we try to mimic what we do on the sled with our movements, but uh, it's really hard. I mean, uh, we're, th- you know, riding a 500 pound snowmobile and it's not a, uh, you know, depending on how it's feeling on a certain day, it's, you know, it's a, it's a different beast every time you go out there. So, so I, I went down, as Tom said, before we <laughs> talked, I went down a, a YouTube rabbit hole getting ready for this one and uh, came across a video of your rehab. Um, you had an ACL injury, mm-hmm. man. I got sweaty watching that. Like you guys were going more than hard on one leg. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's one of the problems, uh, you know, injuries in our sport. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, when I'm done racing, like uh, there's no way that I'll do the workouts that I'm doing now. It's not, they're not fun, but, uh, they're rewarding, which is nice. Um, they definitely pay off, you know, in the beginning of the season and, and throughout the season, you know, we try to do a lot of injury prevention, but, at the end of the day, you know, I've had some bad luck throughout my years of racing. So I, you know, no matter what you do, you can always get hurt if you make a mistake. So how old were you when you realized that this was important? Uh, you know, the working out and the being in shape. I mean, there's racers, uh, in, in the stock car realm that will never see a gym or, you know, raise a weight or anything like that. Um, and they go out and win races, but that's really not an option for you. I would imagine. Yeah, no, no, not for me. I mean, I didn't, when I was 20 years old, I mean, I didn't have the talent just to ride my snowmobile and win. Um, you know, I had to work my butt off and, you know, get into the gym every day. Um, at the same time I was finishing up college when I was 20. So, uh, you know, I had to have a job and pay for the, our apartment and everything and um, and find time to train around that. So, yeah, I'd say I guess when I was 21, I really found out that it was really important to train and kind of give everything I had because um, if I didn't, I didn't really have a job to fall back on. At that point, I stopped going to school um, and I honestly just had to win. So that was kind of one of the only options or do, you know, not, not just win, but, you know, podium, you know, finish the best I could. So outside of the training, what was the hardest part of the transition for you in going into that, that next level of competition? Like you said, you started getting around guys and it was like, Oh crap. I guess just the hardest part was just learning how to go fast. You know, I, 
I'm kind of self-taught. I was always just chasing my, my dad and my sister around the track and trying to be faster than them. No one told me, Oh, you know, you should do this on a snowmobile to go faster. When I, I was just kind of, I guess I kind of had that talent when I was younger. I just didn't care and just went as fast as I could. But um, at the end of the day, there's some technique that goes on when you're riding a snowmobile. And I didn't really understand any of that until I was, you know, 20 or 21 years old and what I could do on a sled to make myself go faster. You know, I just thought, you know, press the throttle and be smooth or, you know, just hang on to the sled as tight as you could and you'd win races, but that that's not the way it works. So yeah. <clears throat> there was definitely, I definitely had some mentors um, when I was younger that if I didn't have, I wouldn't be where I am today. That's interesting. That. It's a very, I, I, you know, again, stock car racing is a singular sport when you're out there, but I would think especially with snowcross or motocross that, yeah, I mean, it's you and that's it, right? Yes and no. I mean, again, those guys in the, just like stock cars, there's guys setting up your your car and, you know, if those guys aren't setting it up right or if you give bad feedback, then you're not going to do very well, so. Yes, one guy gets rewarded for winning, but it takes a team effort to go fast and be comfortable in, in a stock car or on a sled. So that was the biggest thing. I had good guys, good mechanics around me who taught me a lot, who taught me how to give good feedback. And that's ultimately what got me to the next level. How much tinkering can you do to the layman who thinks like, oh, you can go to Lacare's Marine and buy a new sled? and you push the throttle and it goes fast and you go, how much tweaking can you actually do to change the sled depending on whatever course track, whatever. Now is not as much as back when they had mods, but still now you can, you can do a lot of things, you know, when just today we got our, I mean, we got our four brand new sleds and, you know, we're tearing them all apart to make sure everything's perfect. Um, you know, just depends, you know, kind of what, at, what level you're at. I mean, you can, if you're kind of a low junior sport rider, you don't need to do too much to the sled, but you know, what I would say is learn how to work on the suspension. You know, there's compression. You can change the compression, the rebound on all those shocks for a reason. So if you don't know how to adjust your shocks, then you shouldn't be riding, I guess, you know, you should always try try something new every time you go out riding. But um, for the more advanced people, I mean, there's a, a million different ways to go faster. I guess it's just testing. That's the biggest thing. You can you can put in a million different combinations of clutching in your sled, and you know, to make it go faster. And same with suspension, you can put different spring rates, different valving. There's no perfect. There's no perfect answer for, you know, any of that to go as fast as you can. So um, a lot of it's just testing and how much effort you're willing to put in. So, and, and at the end of the day, there's a lot of money you can spend on brakes and, you know, bracing and all that stuff that will help you in the long run. So when you get to a track and you've got a particular setup, and this is more like probably dirt racing than anything else, um, that I can think of you get to a, you get to a track and you're unloaded with a setup that you think you're going to have, you know, the track is going to be these conditions today and you get there and it's a sloppy mess. What, how, how quick can you turn that, that thing around and, and change the setup and be ready for the track that's presented to you? 
so we have two practices and depending on what the issue is you know hopefully by the second practice you got it all figured out and you're not making adjustments for that first round you know because you kind of want to know what you're riding on before you get out there you know um but at at some races you know it just doesn't go your way you know i've had sleds where they don't run in either practice and you're just going out there in the first the first round of racing and it's like you did you couldn't test your suspension you couldn't test your clutching and because your motor wasn't running and you just kind of got to go for it and you know those first two rounds those are your practices but at the same time you have to do the best you can to try to make the feature but yeah i mean we have two practices for a reason so hopefully by that second practice you're comfortable um and in both of those practices you have like I ha- I'll have suspension tuners out there to tune while I'm riding. So I'll pull in real qu- quick, give them feedback on what, what I don't like and what I do like, and they'll, they'll change it and I'll do three or four laps or maybe even one lap um, and pull back in and try to give them more feedback on the, on what to make better. And on the clutching side of things, um, you kind of have to, you know, change everything between practices. So you know, you go out there the first time, you just have to check your RPMs, make sure, you know, they're not too high or too low, um, that it's not getting up to up to the peak RPM too quick, um, just all that stuff. And, you know, they'll be able to switch, you know, change that for the second practice and hopefully it's dialed in. But another thing is, you know, snow conditions change throughout the day. Yeah. When we practice, it, it could be, 40 degrees and sunny and the snow's a little packy and wet, um, a little more load. And by the time we race at 7 PM, it could be starting to dry out and get kind of, uh, yeah, this, the snow will be drier and, and more loose. So you might have to add more weight as the night goes on to your clutch. Are there benefits make- to having teammates or is it so individualized in terms of what you like, as opposed to someone else? that there's not really a lot of collaborating. I think that's what I meant with my question too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's times where it's nice to have a teammate. Um, you kind of have two sleds out there at the same time to get feedback from both drivers on what it's doing, what it's not doing. You know, sometimes in the past we've, you know, me and, and the other driver have had difference of opinions. Um, but just like you said, everyone drives the sled different. So the way I drive the sled, it's not going to be the same as you. And therefore our suspension is not going to be the same. So, you know, we might be able to tighten, you know, the compression and the center shock on my sled, but not on the other guy's sled. And it, it just doesn't, doesn't work that way. So yeah, there is some times where it is beneficial. I'd say more for line choice and talking with the other rider and where to, where you can go faster. But, you know, other than that, um, unless your teammate is really knowledgeable and really good at what they do, I would say that, you know, I prefer just being the only guy giving the information. All right. So let's go to your running pro. You're starting to have some success. When was the first moment where that confidence really kicked in and you said, crap, I'm, I'm figuring this out. Hmm. I, I probably the first time was in my f- fill-in year. Um, I got a decent start in one of my races at uh, Fargo, North North Dakota. <clears throat> uh, actually, one of the stock car tracks. 
yeah, I got a decent start. I was running like second the whole race. And, you know, at that point I was probably, I weighed like 190 pounds and I was probably, you know, 30, 35 pounds overweight, had no business being up front, but, uh, I ran up front probably with two laps to go. I dropped back to fourth at the time and, you know, I crashed and it was all over from there. I probably got like 10th or something, but from that point forward, I knew that, you know, if I worked harder, if I got in shape that I could be one of the top guys. What about before that, when you're thinking about going pro, I mean, there must've been a moment where you're banging around an Island pond and you're like, yeah, I think I'm good at this. You know, I mean, what was the breakthrough for you locally or was yeah, there, did you just decide to just, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do this and make money. We got to go pro. <clears throat> yeah, no, there's always times where I thought I was, I should have been one of those guys on a factory team. I mean, I kind of remember when I was 14, you know, as you race, you have to stay in your division, right? So when you're 10 to 13, you're in the junior class. Sure. Yeah. You turn 14 and you, back then you had to be on fan cools, fan cooled sleds. So they weren't very powerful. They weren't fast. Then when you're 14, you can, you could start running a liquid cool sled. Um, so back when I turned 14, I was running a 440 liquid and i i was doing everything the pros were doing you know i remember like a section where it was you know triple triple and i was doing exactly what all the pros were doing and i was like yeah i guess you know i i'm kind of decent out at this um now that i'm on a faster sled and then that following year we would always do some national races right so you were supposed to after when you turn 15 if you're good enough you're supposed to go to the sport class well, my dad was like, you're not racing sport. There's no money in sport back then. So he's like, you know, you're racing pro light or back then it was semi-pro. So when I was 15, I bumped from junior class racing against 14 year olds to the semi-pro class, which was racing against, you know, anyone from, I guess, my age, 15 to 25 or 30 years old. Right. So that was a big jump. And uh, we went to a national race that year in, I can't remember if it was Canterbury, Minnesota, or uh, or Shakopee, Minnesota, or Farmington, New York. And I got second in a semi-pro race, and that was, that was a big deal because, you know, the purses were big. You're racing against, you know, the guys that are on TV and, you know, making a lot of money. So, um, yeah, I got second place and, you know, kind of proved that I could do it. So That's cool. How big, especially early on in the process, was your family? I know you mentioned your dad a few times, your sister. I don't know if your sister was super fast on a sled, too, because you said you were chasing her at one point. Uh, how big was, was the family in giving you the opportunity to pursue something like this? Yeah, no, it's huge. Um, like I said, we, uh, yeah, I was chasing around my dad and my sister, you know, ever since I was six years old and on. So that was obviously tough. Once I got on a bigger sled on the fan cools, um, I was starting to catch up to him and, and my sister was really fast. She was, you know, she was beating a lot of, a lot of the boys back then and, you know, doing all the big jumps, the, you know, the 120 foot tabletops and doubles and triples and all that stuff. So it was, I always had someone to look up to and, and chase around the practice track at home. And then, you know, just my parents, you know, spending even if they didn't have all the money back then 
they were, you know, spending a lot of money every season just to get to the races and they would also buy us, you know, brand new sleds every year. So yeah, without them, none of it would be possible. Give us a little background about your family here in St. Johnsbury. I mean, what what were you guys doing for work and what's a typical day growing up? Yeah. So my dad owns, uh, my dad and mom owned the trucking company. He started driving trucks for his dad when he was like 15 years old. And then he just, you know, did that ever since he started out logging and then kind of did more of uh, just hauling lumber and steel and that sort of stuff, just kind of around the New England um, area. They went down to New Jersey and stuff like that. And my mom worked in the office for him. So it was just them two running it. And my dad drive in his earlier days, but then, you know, towards the end, he just worked as the dispatcher and tried to make sure everything, you know, everyone is staying on task and getting their loads dropped off, picked up at a, at a certain time. And so they were always at home and they'd bring us to the races in the winter. And yeah, just a typical day for my sister and I, you know, we would go to school, uh, come home from school. My, my dad would be like, all right, you know, you're, you're going to ride till it's dark. So we just ride till it got dark and, you know, we do that, you know, Monday to Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we come home after school, you know, change the oil on the chain case, you know, clean the clutches, get everything, tighten the nuts and bolts. And then depending on how far the race was on Friday, we would either go, you know, leave my parents would uh, pick us up in the RV in the trailer right from school. And we'd head to the race or we'd get out at lunch and uh, go to the race. So that's what we did all the way up until I was 18 years old. So were your parents racers? My dad was. Yep. My mom, no, she just came and supported us that way. But yeah, she was not, she was not about, uh, she was about the racing, but she didn't like to see us get hurt and crash. But now, She'd never make a stop. So <laughs> Yeah, well that's that's the key right there. <laughs> now uh stock car racing isn't necessarily a cool thing for a high school kid to do, but I think snowmobile racing might be just a touch more badass when you're when you're growing up. I mean, how were your friends uh when you're when you're out there and getting started? I mean, were they supportive or they're like, ah, oh, you're a redneck? You know, I was pretty quiet, I guess. You know, there wasn't really Instagram or Facebook back then. So, but I wasn't like, you know, going back to school and telling, you know, telling them I won that weekend or something, you know, I wasn't going to toot my own horn. So yeah, never been that kind of guy. So yeah, I guess I, I can't really say if they're supportive or not, because I didn't really, I didn't really tell them or talk to them much about it. So it's kind of weird, but no, it's, it, I, I dig that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, at what point did you ever think like, Oh, I could be on ESPN in the X games. When did that creep into your mind as a possibility? Yeah. I don't know if I ever thought it was a possibility. It was just a dream. You know, my dream was always, it was never to win a championship or win, um, X games or anything like that, but it was just to go, go to Aspen and race in the X games. That was my, you know, my, my dream, you know, if I could do that, you know, my life would be complete. So <laughs> how do you, is there a, a process to apply for X games or how did, how does that, is it an open, you know, anybody <clears throat> can qualify or, or do you have to be invited or what's, 
How does that work? So back, you know, back because when we let's, brought- let's get it. Let me, sorry to interrupt you, but for reference, you were a bronze medalist on the X games in what? 17, I think. 17, the last year they had snow cross. Yep. So back when I raced rock maple, <clears throat> they always had qualifying, you know, the certain, I don't really know what it was, but like a certain amount of the national pros would make it into X games. Um, I don't know if they had a qualifier in the beginning of the year to make it to X games or it's like the top eight or 10 in points just automatically went. I'm not exactly sure, but I always remember there being qualifiers at certain, certain regionals and a lot of the top pro guys like Brett Bender and TJ Gula, if they didn't make it, they would come to those regional races and try to make it into X games, you know, and beat all the, all the regional guys. So, you know, but uh, I think they took like four or five guys anyways from the regional. So uh, yeah, that's how they did it back then. And then most recently it was just by invite. So, you know, the top 10 in points would get invited. And then, you know, some of the best guys around the world would also get invited. So from the outside, Looking in, I would think, is it more important to have a good showing at the X Games in terms of notoriety, in terms of sponsorship? Does, you know, a bronze at the X Games go farther than, you know, a championship in California? I would say so, just because it's on ESPN. A lot of people know, you know, even if they know nothing about Snowcross, they know what the X Games are. And they know that you have a medal. So I would say back then, yes, if you had a, you know, if you had an X Games medal, you'd be more opt to get good sponsors. But now with there being no X Games, I don't think it matters. I think you you, know, it matters if you have a championship and if you do well in the standings. So I can vouch for that. Like everybody knows about X Games, you know, the reason that I realized as a kid that, Snowcross was a sport was, you know, Chris Vincent from Essex was on TV. Um, Carl Allard, who was, who was a, a stock car driver was from Quebec. He, uh, he raced around here and he was on TV and there were some names that, you know, you could identify with um, Tom mentioned Blair Morgan, you know, how cool was he? And, but it seems like maybe, and this is just me speculating with X games gone, it now gets back to more pure, racing and you don't have you don't have to maybe worry about that hype or or anything like that it may be maybe harder to get sponsors perhaps without that national exposure or the tv but um it seems like you don't have to focus on x games now yeah i think it's a bummer that they don't have x games anymore but i think it's a little harder to get sponsors you know there's there was a reason for some guys to sponsor you was because they would get that recognition on national tv but yeah, so at the end of the day, I wish, you know, I wish we were still racing X Games. For those who might not know, without X Games anymore, what is your pinnacle for a season? Mine would just be to win a championship at this point. Um, you know, I was really close in, I can't really say I was close in 2019, but uh, I was kind of on my way. I won four out of six races. I was really competitive. Uh, and I, it was the year after Tucker retired. So I was like, ah, you know, if this, it, it's any time it's now. Um, so I really thought I was going to win the championship 
that year and just after that that's been my goal you know if you can win a bunch of races and stay consistent and win a championship that's you know that's the pinnacle of racing you know there's only been a handful of guys that have won championships in the last 20 years so with tucker blair and elias now winning the majority is there one event that everybody wants to win during the year like what's is there a you know the daytona 500 or the super bowl or whatever yeah i can't really say if there is um you know obviously that first race of the year is kind of the most important kind of shows you know where you're at with your training and with your team um but other than that throughout the season i wouldn't say there's a one race that's more important than any other you know there's no there are you get paid all the same for for the races so it's <laughs> yeah there's no big you know purse money for any specific one right now keep in mind justin and i are both older than you and i am not in any way trying to take a shot here but i have no idea what is kind of the average age for the pro tour are you kind of nearing the back end of what most of the competitive guys are or are you just entering your prime now yeah i would say um i I guess i'm one of the older guys racing now um i always said if you made it into your 30s you were you know you did really good you know that's what tucker did that's what tim trembley ross martin robbie milanoski you know all those top name guys did uh levi i even think and so yeah if you make it into your 30s you know, 30, 31, 32, 33, you're doing good. You had a, you had a really good career. So especially for like guys like me, I've been racing since I was six. So it's not like it's just been a 10 to 13 year career. You know, it's been 20 plus. So, so how do you, you know, blow out the candles on your 28th birthday cake and say, shit, this thing's coming to an end fairly soon. You know, I mean, are, are you going to push until you can't or you, do you have a set cutoff? Yeah, like I said, if I make it into my 30s, uh, I think I'll, I'll be satisfied. Yeah. You know, I kind of had that realization this year that I didn't want it to come to an end. You know, I told myself and my wife that I was okay if it did. But, you know, as it grew closer, it was not. I was not okay. You know, I kind of felt lost. I, you know, I had surgery this off season and um, I wasn't going to the gym because I wasn't going to spend, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars um, if I didn't have to. So, uh, and I had surgery anyway, so I had to take some time off and heal. So, yeah, then when I found out I didn't have a deal and just, you know, day by day, I was just like, ah, this doesn't feel right. I feel kind of lost, you know. And it's, kind of, it's what I've done the last eight years, you know, just wake up in the morning, train, come home and work, you know, at our cabins and on the lake. And yeah, it just kind of my whole schedule was off and I didn't like it. So I'm, I wasn't ready to call it quits yet. How much does being a new dad play into that? Because I know when we had the twins, all of a sudden I found a lot more nights where you're lying awake and you're thinking about the future or the past or whatever, what you may want your life to be 
for you and as well as now you have these kids or in your case, single kid depending on you. Yeah. That was one of the tough things. Another one of the reasons why I said like, I'd be satisfied if I would have retired, you know, but again, I was like, you know, as, as time grew, um, yeah, I, it's a little selfish for me. I feel like to want to keep racing, <clears throat> but at the same time, my, this career is not going to last until I'm, you know, 50 years old, you know, I'm I only have two to five years if I'm good left. Right. So figured she's young enough and, you know, I didn't want her to be the reason why I stopped racing. Um, and she's not, obviously I, you know, I'm going to continue to race, but, um, I can imagine when I leave, it's definitely going to be a little harder, but at the same time, I think it's going to make me push harder because, you know, if I'm gone away from my wife and my child, then, you know, I better make it worth it. So not to be morbid, but I'm sure that this has probably entered your mind now as a dad, you see, you go back in time and you see Rex like Blair Morgan, um, who was paralyzed now or TJ Kula who got hit in the back of the head and almost died. You know, that that's gotta, that's gotta weigh on you a little bit, right? Yes. And no, never been a guy to be scared to race a snowmobile. You know, I've had my fair share of surgeries I've been landed on. Yeah. So, you know, obviously I wish that that doesn't happen to anyone, you know, especially myself, but at the end of the day, it could. And, uh, you know, my dad always said, if you're, you know, scared riding a snowmobile, you shouldn't be. So I'm not too worried about it. I know my wife doesn't want to hear that, but you know, that's just the way it is. It's kind of the way we're wired and probably not going to ever change. Is she a fan? No. No, oh. no. She's a fan when I win, but yeah, <laughs> she's she's already told me with her her anxiety watching that she's not not even going to watch the races this year. She's just going to look for the results and you know have her have her dad watch or my mom and you know have them text her the results and just you know wait for that. She's she's been through too much with uh, getting hurt and you know. Cause when she doesn't go to every race, you know, she's not lucky enough. She, she teaches at the Academy. So, you know, I have a big crash during a race and they just show that and then they show nothing else. And you don't know if the guy's okay or, right. you know, you have no idea what happened to him. So, you know, when that stuff happens, she just kind of, you know, has a little bit of a breakdown until she knows I'm okay. So, <laughs> so this year she's not going to watch unless she's at the race then she will. And then someone can text her when it's time to go meet you in Victory Lane. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, she'll watch when she's there. But just uh she might not watch. She'll probably just, you know, look at down at the ground. But uh yeah, she said when she's home she's just gonna turn it on when I'm on the podium. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, as has been accustomed quite a few times on this show, your lovely wife helped get the zoom and everything ready for yeah. us. Tell us a little about her and how you guys met yeah so yeah i guess we're high school sweethearts um started dating when we were sophomores when i was a sophomore she was a junior um yeah so she's put up with us for a long time then yep yeah she, wow. i think she thought it was cooler back in the day but um 
now having a kid and you know staying home alone in the winters it's not the it's not the best time of year to uh stay home and stock the wood fire alone and uh take care of the dogs and you know go to the go to work every day and make sure someone's home to let the dogs out you know it's it's hard work she does a lot for me and you know yeah I couldn't do it without her and she supported me through it all and yeah through the injuries you know I can only imagine you know with all the injuries I've gone through for someone to say like yeah keep following your dream you know I don't know I don't know if I would do the same thing if, if I've uh if she would get hurt that many times doing something but uh yeah you know when you just have the drive and the passion for something I think she sees that and she knows that I want to you know I want to win so bad so um she's really supportive and you know that way you you keep bringing up injuries what's what's and I've talked about the ACL but what are some of the ones that you remember I mean vividly like oh crap you know (laughs) I'm I'm in big trouble here I got landed on when I was 15. That was, I, I honestly don't remember that one. I looked back and all I saw was a sled. And the next thing I knew I was in the hospital. Yeah. I broke everything in my left arm. Got lucky. Just landed on the left side of me, kind of tore up my arm. And there was like paddle marks all the way down my arm. <clears throat> my broke my humerus and my radius and my ulna and also like tore my hand open. So, yeah, I just remember waking up in the hospital and they're giving me shots in my hand. To, they didn't know if I had a compound fracture of my arm. They didn't really know what was going on. So uh, that was one of the, you know, one of the worst ones, especially I was so young. I was only 15. Um, and, yeah, I had a bunch of injuries. How did your mom react yeah. to that? Not good. <laughs> she was like, I'm, I'm not letting you race next year. You know, it's done. With my family, we don't really communicate too well. So that's pretty much kind of how it ended. You know, my dad ordered new sleds and we kind of just went racing again the following year and didn't really talk about it, you know. Um, that was one of the times where I was like kind of scared riding the snowmobile. And not like the following season, but when I got back to that track, it was like Geneva. Sure. That long start up the hill and it just kind of launched you. And that's where I got landed on. I kind of, there was like a, it's called a double lip, you know, so it kind of, you have to hit it steady speed and and smooth or else it will throw you sideways. So I kind of got to the top of it and I let off. So I didn't jump super far. And, but the guy behind me like cross jumped and landed on top of me. So, uh, yeah, going back to that track, I was like, oh, man, I don't like this. I was like, I just need to get the start and go. That was kind of my mindset from then on. Like, you know, I just really need to get the whole shots and make my life easier and don't don't look back. But uh, so, yeah, my mom wasn't super pumped about us racing after that. And But uh, 15 to 17, I got hurt at the last race every single year. I think I broke my arm, broke my thumb, and broke something else but uh so that kind of put a damper on things but at least it was at the end of the season I had all summer to heal and you know get ready for the following season um you guys saw the ACL that was actually my next injury and that was when I was that was my first full-time season I only raced two races but that was after my fill-in 
season. So that was a super bummer. I started off the year really well. I had top five in every race and I just got my first podium. So I was like, yes, you know, you know, training does pay off. Um, cause I really, that was the year I had an apartment in Burlington and, you know, I woke up at 5am, went to CrossFit. That's when CrossFit started to get really big. Um, we had some friends, uh, in Essex and she got me into CrossFit, actually one of the girls I went to school with. So I would wake up at 5am, go to CrossFit, work all day in landscaping and then go back to CrossFit. And I did that until, you know, the season. So that was a little too much, especially with working landscaping too. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why I got hurt that following season. Um, like I said, the year before I was 195, maybe 200 pounds. I might've saw 200 once. And then, uh, that following season, I weighed 155 pounds and just had zero fat and probably was a little unhealthy and doing too much and not eating enough. But, um, so yeah, that was my, that was my first really big injury. I would say the ACL was horrible. The recovery was horrible. Like I still feel my knees, not the same. Um, and then from then on, I dislocated both shoulders, um, in separate seasons, uh, multiple, I think like five each. I dislocated my left five times, my right five times in separate seasons. And then last year I, I hurt my left knee again. So yeah, a lot of injuries. Yeah. I, uh, I had my ACL done. It was before the kids. So like six years ago and that is not enjoyable and it's still, yeah, doesn't feel right to this day. Uh, are you more of an anomaly or does everybody kind of have this laundry list if they're going to do this for a while? Yeah. Um, ACLs for sure. I mean, there's not too many guys who don't have an ACL riding bikes or, you know, snowcross. I feel like a lot of guys tear their ACLs um, just because of the impact. And, you know, back when I, back when I did it, our knee braces, the knee braces I was wearing weren't super good. So my knee hyperextended and I tore it that way. And, you know, just twisting and turning in the corners, it's easy to do. Um, so yeah, I'd say a lot of guys have that. A lot of guys dislocate their shoulders too. Um, I would say mine were more bad luck, but, um, doesn't matter. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I did it once and that was enough. (laughs) One of them were my fault, but I'd rather not talk about that one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So we've talked about some of the bad stuff with the injuries, but let's talk about some of the the good stuff here. what's your biggest win? I mean, bring us, you know, again, watching some YouTube stuff. um, And if you say that they all pay the same, um, does it come down to the facility and you just like the track better? Or, you know, I was looking at, I think it's Shakopee, which is a horse track, right? And the place looks gorgeous from what I saw. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, They call that one, the Daytona. Yeah. It's no cross, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I guess, uh, I mean, my first win, I was probably, the coolest one just because with all my injuries, I dislocated my, my right shoulder before the season. And then I did it again, like five days before the race. Um, 
So I was like, I don't even know if I can race, let alone, you know, win. But then, you know, when you just, when you, when that adrenaline's running through your body and it's, you know, it doesn't matter. So yeah, that one was cool. Cause you know, I got hurt five days before and then I went out and won the first race of the year. And that was the only time I've had red plates on in my career. So, uh, that, yeah, that'd be the best. Um, like you said before the bronze medal, even though that wasn't a win, that was just something I dreamed about my whole life. And that was really cool. Something awesome that I, that I can show my, my daughter. Um, there's one in Deadwood where one of the riders crashed with like three laps to go and he got knocked out and they red flagged it in the rule book. They say, if there's, if you've raced 80% of the race, then it's the way you finish on the red flag is the way you finish. But for some reason they didn't follow the rules of that race. <clears throat> and I went to go start my sled and my recoil stuck. So I couldn't start my sled. Huh. You know, every time I pulled on it and the little flippers never grabbed the recoil. Yeah. Cause it overheated. All the riders were complaining about where they were supposed to line up and stuff. And, there was one guy who said he wasn't a lap down, but I lapped him. He was a lap down. And they spent like, you know, an extra five or 10 minutes just kind of arguing. And we got two minutes to work on the sled. That was the second year of the EFIs. And uh, my mechanic wrapped his belt around the clutch and started it and tried to start it. And every time it would get close, I'd hit the gas and I'd just kill it. So finally he's like yelled at me. He's like, stop hitting the gas. And he, he got it started and it was way past two minutes. It was like four or five minutes, but people were still complaining about where they're lining up and my, got my sled started and I went on to, to win the race and it was a close one. You know, I should have won it without a doubt, but uh, we're this close to not winning that one. So that's, amazing. that's a pretty memorable one too. With his belt. I love it. Yeah, he goes, he actually lost a bunch of weight, my mechanic, Elliot, for that season. So he had to wear a belt, and he's like, that's the, you know, that's the, I forgot what he said, but he's like, you know, I I guess I'm I'm lucky that I lost some weight because uh, if I was still big, then I, we wouldn't have got that sled started. <laughs> I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have had to wear a belt. Hey, guys, let's take a quick break from our episode tell you that we are proud to welcome Barry Tile and Morrison Clark Incorporated as our newest supporters. Not only are they great at what they do, they're racers too. You got it. Family owned and operated since 1972. That's almost 50 years. Barry Tile staff are qualified installers and they offer real world flooring experience and knowledge that you don't always find in the big chain stores. Whether it's tile, carpet, hardwood, or any other type of flooring, whether it's inside or outside, for your home or your business, choose Barry Tile. You can check out Barry Tile's Facebook page to see examples of their incredible work. Call them 802-476-0912. Or, hey, stop into the showroom at 889 South Barry Road in Barry, Vermont, and tell them that Tom and Justin and the Uncommon Deeds podcast sent you. This episode of Uncommon Deeds is presented in part by Prohe of Eastmont Pillar, Vermont, 
Established in 2002, ProHeat is now 19 years strong, and founder Michael John Massetti has 30 years' experience as a full-time heating technician. So they're here for the long haul. Winter is coming, so it's time to start thinking about your heating and hot water needs. ProHeat is a one-stop shop for sales, installation, and service. Whether it's water heaters, gas, oil, electric, or hybrid, they got you covered. Furnaces, oil tanks, cold climate heat pumps, nice space heaters, boilers, gas, and oil. They can do it for you. In Central Vermont, call MJ Massetti directly at 802-272-0964. In the Bradford or Groton area, you can call Derek O'Donnell. Yep, that guy at 802-238-3848. For more information, visit ProHeat on Facebook or call the East Montpelier office 802-479-9330. Professional, reliable, on-time ProHeat. Now, let's go back to the show. All right, as we kind of jump back towards this season, how much more is on your plate with this new team and building something kind of from scratch as opposed to just kind of being the cog on a productive team that is already running and going? Yeah, there's... Yeah, too much to really explain. I mean, I've I've been on Shearing Speed Sports for the last eight years, so I kind of have to go back and remember everything that we did to the sled, especially the last few years on how we made it fast, on what we braced, on, you know, so the sled won't break, Um, just kind of the little secrets that we did to go fast um, because at the end of the day, we're not, we're racing stock sleds but they're not stock so i had to remember everything we did and then along with that i had to tell my dad and jake especially jake what to order you know what parts we broke you know what do we need extra of you know um so that's one of the hardest things and then you know just we're sponsored by a lot of people in the industry you know like stud boy and you know a lot of the so we get a lot of the stuff for free, but there's also yeah. a lot of things, you know, a lot of sponsors that are a lot of manufacturers that we aren't um, sponsored by. So we have to order all that stuff too. And just trying to remember, you know, everything that we need to, to go fast. So yeah, it's difficult. Um, and then if I can remember everything that we did this led, it's, you know, finding someone to do it, you know, whether it's welding, you know, fabricating something or, um, like Steve had all of the hardware to do all the tuning to the snowmobile. So now we have to figure out how we can get that for our team now too. So just, there's a lot of, a lot of things that we need to go fast and, uh, we had to get it all together in a short amount of time. So. Yeah. How much, you know, testing and kind of, trial by fire is there because i feel like we've been talking for a few weeks and you've been to canada a couple times and you know you're gone how much is going into the preparation yeah there's a lot i mean especially you know one of the things that we can change on the sled is the shocks and last year i was racing fox and this year i'm back with kyb so just trying to find a good setup with kyb and that i'm comfortable with and that's kind of what we've been doing for the last two weeks um, I had a brand new sled from last year and they didn't change the sleds at all. So, um, I was able to do a lot of good testing, um, the last few weeks with KYB and get a good setup with that. 
so that was one of the biggest things. And then uh, now that we have the new sleds, we'll be heading out to Minnesota here pretty soon. And again, we'll be doing a lot of clutch testing, more shock testing, just trying to do the final touches and, you know, be prepared as prepared as we can be for that first race. Realistically, how do you expect to do this year? I expect to win. It might be, we might hit some bumps again, because we have all, not not all new mechanics, but, you know, I haven't worked with them. You know, um, we have a crew chief. His name's Ryan Duncan. He's from Minnesota. Um, he'll be doing all the clutching. Um, but again, I've never worked with him. So he says he has, he can clutch a sled and he, he'll make it go fast, but I have to get out to Minnesota to see if that's true. <laughs> really? You know, he's been in the sport for a long time. So I'm sure, I'm sure he is good. He's had a lot, a lot, a lot of fast sleds in the past. So, you know, with him um, being back with KYB, I feel like the fastest I've ever gone is when I've rode KYB on KYB shocks. So that way I think we're in good shape. Um, but at the end of the day, it's how you adjust at the track and uh, you have to keep improving throughout the year. Um, you know, if you're the guy who, or if you're the team that just, you know, starts with one setup and finishes with that setup, you're not going to do very good. So right. I'm looking at the schedule here and I noticed that you don't live in the Midwest. You live over here. How difficult is that to make that drive out to Minnesota or to Iowa or the Dakotas, you know, and, and really, and the season isn't very long, but it's a grind. You're racing almost every weekend for about three months and it's seems like you don't get any sort of a break. Yep. So we actually have a shop in Minnesota. Uh, we rented a shop and we rented a house. So when I said we were going in December, um, we have a facility out there that we can fix and work on the, the snowmobiles in place to park the uh, 53 foot trailer the tractor trailer in and then we have a house to stay at um we'll be practicing at erx which is one of the rounds one of the places we race at and uh actually where where i won last year so um we kind of have a good setup you know it sucks that we had to rent uh a shop and a house out there but that's where all the races are so uh yeah if we couldn't do it if we were driving from Vermont and getting to every race unless we're on the road all winter. So, um, you know, that way, you know, because we have a, a shop and a house out there where we're able to have a home base where, you know, the, the races are four to eight hours away. So yeah, okay. makes it a lot That's easier. Way easier. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of forgot that in my tally of how much it costs to, to run a team but (laughs) relocate yeah yeah Yeah. one of the races that's not on is valcor at the uh the skidoo factory there's a race too um so we'll come back i think it's around the time new york is so we'll come back home i'll have a track at home and we'll travel to new york and travel to valcor too so it's good to have both spots yeah for sure you kind of hit on it maybe a little bit earlier but then how much are you going to get to see your family during that stretch? Like when you're in Minnesota, if she's working at the Academy in St. Johnsbury, are you just kind of solo 
out there until you get a chance to come back? So the way the schedule's lined up, um, it's like two races in a row and then a weekend off. So depending on how well we're doing um, and what we have to test, I plan to do those two races and fly home right after the race. At the second race, go home, spend like five or six days at home. Um, like I said, I'll have a practice track at home with a sled. So I'll be able to come home, you know, take a few days off because after a race weekend, I'm pretty, the body's pretty destroyed. You know, you kind of get up out of the recliner and you can't walk. So <laughs> um, hopefully it's not that bad, but sometimes it is. So I'll take a few days off, spend some time, then ride at my parents' house, make a track with the groomer and everything. And then, uh, yeah, so hopefully I can come home every couple weeks. And uh, <clears throat> my wife's going to the first race, and I'm sure she'll go to another one. But uh, And then when I when we're home for New York and Valcor, I'll probably be home for like three or four weeks. So it's not too bad, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be – I'm sure it's not going to be easy, but uh, luckily we have FaceTime and we I can see her every night, and so that will be nice. But uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be able to come home every couple of weeks, um, depending if we're doing good and we don't have a lot to test. But if we're not doing good, then I'm probably not going to come home as much as I want to. So now I'm thinking about the last few winters that we've had here in Vermont. Maybe there's a little bit more snow up in the kingdom than there is over on this side out towards Lake Champlain. But uh, what do you do when you come home and you plan to test and there's no snow? Uh, We make snow. So there's snow. (laughs) Yeah. That's easy. That's cool. Yeah. Um, In the past, we've had the uh, town dump all the snow at our house too. So uh, one way or another, we'll have uh, plenty of snow to ride on, even if it's a warm winter yeah, I've been looking at the winter weather. I've was gonna make snow this for two weeks, and then the weather changed. It looked like it was gonna be it has to you know it has to be below twenty eight to make decent snow, and then uh, but it just changed again. Now it's getting cold, but I'm supposed to head to Minnesota at the beginning of December, so um, I think I'm gonna make snow when I get back from testing for three or four days. If I have like four days of you know, under 28 degrees, I should be able to make plenty of snow for a whole year of riding. So that's my goal. When I get back from testing before Christmas, make enough snow and then practice when I'm home and then go back out and then I'll be able to have a track in both spots. So come winter time, do you ever get to like trail ride for fun with the family or is it more of a that's your occupation, and when you get some downtime, you want to keep your ass off of a sled. Yeah. Um, by the time the season's over, like you said, with the winters, there's not a lot of snow when I get home in April, so I don't get the trail ride. I don't even have a trail sled. I actually went trail riding like two or three years ago now on one of the 850s and the 900 aces that Skidoo has, and that was a lot of fun. Um, then like maybe three years ago, we went mountain riding in Wyoming and that was, that was a blast. I'd love to do that again, but 
Yeah. Like I said, I don't have, you know, it's kind of my job. Um, I don't, I don't have a trail sled. If I did have one, I would, you know, try to ride it. But, uh, with, uh, Jake De Silva, he owns a dealership. So, uh, maybe he'll lend me a few sleds for a weekend and go trail riding. Cause I, I do enjoy it. But, uh, like I said, we just don't have time, you know, we're, we're racing or practicing and kind of like you said, it's like, when I'm after I'm done practicing it's not like a it's not like a joy ride you beat the shit out of your body you know you always have bumps and bruises and it's not it's not really fun until you get to race I guess um for me I don't know some people may like really just enjoy pounding the crap out of their body and you know I like to try to do technical stuff on the track but at the end of the day it's it just beats the shit out of you so um yeah, no, if I had the time and I was, you know, didn't have to practice every day, then I would, but I don't. <laughs> if higher, I will be riding as much as possible. Right, I'm sure, yeah. And how old does the little one have to be before you're looking at a tiny sled to purchase? I already got it all lined up. <laughs> Yep. So I, like I said before, I started, started out on a snow scoop. I found a, a mint one in, uh, Minnesota last year. I bought it for like 1700 bucks. There's no like rust or anything. It looks brand new. Um, I kind of bought it for myself, but it's more of a kid's snowmobile. So, you know, when she's big enough, she can ride that. I bought her a 50, a PW 50. So I got that out in the shed too. So yeah, she's six months old, but uh, I'm ready for her to get on the uh, the motorsports equipment. So there you go. All right, <laughs> time for our Barry Tile quick hitters, and then we'll let you go. And thank you for giving us so much of your time. And also special thanks to Dan Judkins, my buddy, who has yeah. helped us get a couple guests on the podcast. Yeah, and hasn't asked me for commission yet. So that's, yeah. that's a bonus. Perfect. Yeah, actually, I'll give a shout out to one of one of our uh, mechanics too, uh, Ronnie Rathburn. He's from oh, yeah um, Greensboro. Yep, he, I think he works on stock cars too, so you might know him. Yeah, um, you know he grew up doing all of our shocks and, and tuning and everything. And he, yeah, he's coming back this year. And he, you know, since we have our own team, we're going back um, with him, and he's been helping us out a ton you know he's been at the shop every day kind of putting sluts together and tuning them up and giving uh us his advice and you know just you know having a guy like that um and i i saw it with uh, our old mechanics too our old mechanics he raced the steve thorson he raced oval sleds and elliot worked on torque trucks and uh he races side by sides now too but just to have guys in the sport for that long and have knowledge in you know so many different areas really um, helps evolve the sport and gets us riders to go as fast as possible. So yeah. uh, super happy to be working with Ronnie again. All right, for our quick hitters, I'll kick it off for you. If you could go back and run one race over that you already ran. What one would it be and why? I'd probably have to go back to 2019 
because I won <clears throat> I won four out of six, and I probably could have won every single race that I raced in that year. Um, and if it weren't for dislocating my left shoulder, I probably would have won, you know, a lot of races that season. And I think I could have won the championship too. So I would take away the race that I dislocated my left shoulder and never dislocated it. So then I would have never had surgery. And then I, that would have changed the outcome big time. My question, I'll change it. It's usually race car, but what's the dumbest thing you've ever done on a sled? I try not to do stupid things on a sled, but uh, actually one of the crashes you probably saw, I was leading in New York, blew a belt, and uh, had like three laps to go. I I think I would have won that race. Um, Went back to the trailer, punched the wall, and dislocated my right shoulder. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's dumb. You punched the wall hard enough to dislocate your shoulder? Yep. Uh, and yeah, no, I didn't even really. Punch makes it sound cooler. Uh, we're upstairs. I was upstairs in our semi and I kind of like slapped the uh, the couch and my shoulder just popped out. Wow. I already dislocated it before that. Right. But so it was easier to fall out. So I, I did that. I dislocated it and I was like, oh shit. I tried to get it back in. I didn't, I was by myself. I tried to get it back in. I couldn't get it back in. The uh, mobile med came over. They tried to get it back in. They couldn't. So I had to go to the hospital and they had to sedate me to get it back in. But I did, I did race the next day and I think I got like third, second or third. So. Yeah, but that was stupid. That was really stupid. I wish I never did that. Everyone to this day, everyone thinks when I blew that belt, because if you look up that crash on YouTube, it's probably one of the hardest crashes I've ever had. Everyone thinks I dislocated it during that crash, but I was fine. You could have just said that that's what you did. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of fun to tell people now, but... (laughs) how how old were you when that happened 2016 so okay 20 it's not that long ago then 22 23 (laughs) yeah no all right yeah stupid i learned not to show my frustration after that finally you're on a long road trip to a race you're driving the whole way who do you want riding shotgun with you well, if I could, my wife, but she would never be, you know, driving that far to a race with me. I don't, I hate driving, honestly. I like being in the passenger seat, but uh, I'd probably say one of my old teammates, Tim Trembley. He was a fun guy to uh, drive around with and just always keep company. You know, he raced, uh, he won some championships and, uh, he raced a long time, raced Canadian nationals. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just always someone I got along with really good. And uh, But I'd rather be in the passenger, passenger seat with him because uh, he had the worst road rage ever. And it was just, you know, kind of fun to see him get pissed off. And <laughs> one day we're in Minneapolis and we're, pat, we're, we're some guy like cut him off with a BMW and uh, 
there was like four lanes of traffic and he threw it into the breakdown lane and was passing everyone's four lanes of traffic to get by this one guy. And, you know, sounds crazy, but I like, he was one of the best drivers to ever drive with. So <laughs> it was always kind of fun to hang out with him and jump the truck, the Ford truck a few times. That was pretty fun. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, so what's, what's next for you, man? I mean, if you're, you know, you're starting a new team in the twilight of your career here, um, are you going to, you know, you just mentioned, um, that there's a lot of guys with some longevity there and they're passing knowledge down to the new riders. Is that you, or are you getting out of the sport or, or what's, what's the future hold for you? Yeah, I feel like I've kind of passed my knowledge on to some riders, uh, Hunter Patnone. He's another Vermont guy. And I tried to help him out just like Tim helped me out. Like I said, I didn't really know how to ride a sled in a methodical way when I was younger. So and I kind of saw the same thing with Hunter, so I helped him out um, as much as I could, uh, whether I did or not. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would, I, you know, I want to race as long as possible. Um, but when I'm in, you know, in the next few years, too, I would like a teammate who I could, you know, help along and, you know, try to, you know, groom them in, into being future champions. So that way you know i think for sure next year we will have another rider so i look forward to you know welcoming a new rider to the team and helping them um but yeah and then when i'm done racing i I don't really know um i for sure want to take a a little time off um and be a stay stay at home dad (laughs) um well i can but uh you know, I kind of want to see, you know, depending on how the sport is doing, I, I do want to see the our team continue and, you know, help out other riders and be competitive. So, you know, there's not many New England teams, and I think it would be beneficial to, you know, have a consistent um, New England team racing at a national level. So, yeah, try to give, you know, maybe New England – people the opportunity to race out national and if people want to kind of keep up with you and see how the season goes where can they where can they follow you yeah they can follow us uh you can uh, you can follow us on facebook or instagram um you can follow me or you can follow the team one three motorsports um that's probably easiest they'll probably do most of the posting i know i don't have some days you know i like to post when i do good but if i don't do so good i'm probably not going to post so yeah, definitely follow one three motorsports. Um and you you can see how we do it throughout the season. Um, you know, also if you have some free time on Friday or Friday or Saturday night and you kind of know what the schedule is, you can go to snowcross.com and you know, watch live. Um if you got nothing else going on or just hanging out with your buddies. So yeah. They stream it right on the website. Yep. Yep. Awesome. For yeah. free. So yeah, you got nothing better to do than Watch some snowmobile racing. I'm going to. (laughs) (laughs) It's late, though. Whatever. That's fine. 10 o'clock. I know. I go to bed at like 8 p.m. So (laughs) we've gone over midnight with these shows sometimes. So this is this is an early one for (laughs) no no problem. 10 o'clock. It's no problem. (laughs) Yeah. 
Okay, man. Well, listen, uh, thank you. Uh, this was, this is cool. And, and I'm sure our listeners are, are going to enjoy a, a change of pace from what we usually do. So thanks for kind of letting us in and, um, wish you the best of luck, man. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on. Uh, I enjoyed talking with you guys and, uh, maybe we can do one, uh, you know, in the future after we, uh, win the championship. So that's, that's the key. Thanks again to Lincoln for giving us so much of his time and widening Justin and I's knowledge of Snowcross yeah. from even if it was from a very small amount to a slightly more than small amount, it's fun for us. Yeah. Really an eye opener. Um and now I I mean I think I'd like to go to see a snowcross race. I don't know if I'm gonna travel to Minnesota. Uh, but there's stuff around here and, and I Jones for motorsports in the winter. So, you know, maybe it's time to, and you're, uh, and and you're going to have a lot more room in the tank for some different types of of (laughs) motorsports as your weekends free up next year. You'll have to, to fill some of that, that love and need for, for motorsports and, I I went to one snowcross event in Plattsburgh one time and it was right on the shore of the lake. And I'm telling you on the beach uh, and it was terrible. It was, I froze, I froze and I will not be doing that again, but I expect that there's probably not too many other tracks that are on Lake Champlain. So um, I'm sure it'll be a better experience. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's always been a fascinating sport to me. And there's a lot of stock car racers who race snow cross in the winters or used to, or whatever. And, um, or even just did the to, drags on like Island yeah, Pond. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and the, the hill climbs and stuff or the grass drags even. Um, so I think it's time to try and wrap our heads around that sport. Sounds good, buddy. Yeah. As for next week, I don't know who our guest is yet, but it'll be a good one. So it's only Sunday right now as we record this, which means lots of lead time. Yeah. No, it doesn't mean lots of lead time. It never means lots of lead time, but more than we usually give ourselves. Yes. More tends to turn to less, but, but I have complete faith that we will, uh, bring in another banger next week. So, well, we, we have made lots of contacts and have, you know, irons on the fire for things. So, and we might hit a road a trip of... this this weekend if we can get away. Yeah. We'll see. If not, yeah. hopefully next week. We'll, well start let me, the road I'm trip. trying to figure out. My mother-in-law comes to town, not this weekend, next weekend. So now's the time. So guess what? We're hitting the road this weekend. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you are following us on all the socials, Uncommon Deeds on Twitter and Facebook, Uncommon Deeds Podcast on the Instagram. The Instagram. If you want to be a part of the Uncommon Media family, whether it be with Uncommon Deeds, whether it be with the Crunch Bunch Podcast, whether it be with both, or maybe you have a project in mind that you think we can help you with, all you got to do, reach out to us on any one of those socials, or you can send us an email at uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. Yep. That's the place. 
you can message us on Facebook or Instagram too. We'll see it. We'll get you Twitter, whatever, whatever works for you. We're here and uh, we want to work with you, whoever mm-hmm. you may be. We want to do some fun stuff and we want to try different stuff. And if you got an idea that you think we could help you with, get at us. Or if you want to be part of our crazy ideas that we want to do, that mm. works great for us too. Yeah. Yep. We've got lots of them. And 90% will, of them will never see the light of day. And we will happily share those crazy ideas with you. You know, you know, in Step Brothers, prestige worldwide. Why? Why? That's us. That is. Investors, possibly you. You've been listening <laughs> to the Uncommon Deeds Podcast, a production of Uncommon Media. Gobble, gobble.